First things first. Whether you're talking about a business or a school or a civic organization or an athletic team, it's vitally important to remember those things, those realities that are fundamental to who you are, to your identity, to your plan. The same is true with Christianity. What we celebrate at Easter, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, is a first things first discussion. It's of central, utmost importance. It's fundamental to our lives, to our faith, to our message. Paul says it here, I delivered to you that which was was of first importance. We start here, we continue here, we end here with these fundamental truths. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised on the third day. And this is what I want to suggest to you this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central. It's a first things first discussion. Not just for those, but for us becoming uh, Christians and believing the Christian message. It's also a first things first importance message for us to become and live as the people that God meant us to be. Easter is not primarily an academic discussion. It's not primarily a historical debate, though it stands on its own in both those arenas. It's about life-changing power. It's about forgiveness and hope and transformation and a future for people from all times, of all races, from all places and all settings and stages in life, including now in this time. The first thing's first message of the resurrection is a message for us now, today, here, this morning. One of the things that also reminds us that the resurrection applies to us, that it has implications for us, is the context of the book of 1 Corinthians. As you know, uh, these books in the Bible, many of them in the New Testament, are actually letters. And this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Corinth. And this, this church, this, these people had a lot going for them. They had, they had skills, they had resources, there were people there. But it was also a church that had its fair share of problems. It was a church of people where there were there were personality conflicts. It was a church where there was a public sexual scandal in that church. There were personality conflicts. There were things would people wouldn't work things out face to face, but they were suing each other left and right. Folks were flaunting their so-called Christian liberty at the expense of weak and young and vulnerable Christians. Some people were getting drunk before they celebrated the Lord's Supper together. And instead of using their gifts for the good of the body, people were in a contest to see who could stand out with the biggest and brightest gifts in the church. What do you think would be a critical message for people in a church like that? What do you think would be first things first importance For folks like that. Stop it. Try harder. 
You just need a new program in your life. No, 1 Corinthians 15 comes after all the trouble that's listed in this church. The message that they needed to remember, the message that they needed was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It applied to them, a group of messed up, broken, sinful, petty, selfish people. Guess what? I have good news. That message applies to us as well. Messed up, broken, sinful, sometimes petty, selfish people. We need the message of the resurrection. It's a first things first discussion for us. So let's look at the passage together and see some of the things that stand out. First of all, I want us to think about the foundation of the resurrection. The foundation of the resurrection. Some of you know this, but I used to work in the construction industry. I was uh, what you'd call a carpenter's assistant, which means I was the low man on the totem pole. I would clean up the job site at the end of the day. I would be sent on errands to find the most elusive tool in the construction industry, the board stretcher. I was always looking for the board stretcher. And, uh, but one thing I do remember is that whether we were working on commercial or residential jobs, the foundation of the building was critical. And we spent so much time, what I felt like was way too much time, getting the foundation ready, leveling the ground, tamping it down, marking things off, pouring footers. Before a single board or joist was installed, we worked really hard to get the foundation right. The same is true in Christianity. The same is true in the life of faith. Paul reminds them, he goes back, he calls their attention to a few very important things. Don't forget this. You guys need to remember. Here are some of the implications of the foundation of the resurrection in your life. First of all, the foundation of the resurrection means that we're brothers and sisters. It says it in verse 1, Now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you. One of the most basic, beautiful principles seen here is that Paul and those early Christians in Corinth, as messed up as they were, and all Christians throughout history, and all believers now, are in a word, family. Those who rest in Jesus Christ are brothers and sisters. When one believes in Christ and follows Him, they become part of the family of God. So we're no longer orphans and aliens and outcasts and outsiders. We become part of God's family. That's part of the foundation of the resurrection. The foundation of the resurrection is also essential to the good news of the gospel message. Paul reminds them in verse 1 of the gospel. Gospel literally means good news. And think about the best news that you could receive. I got the job. She said yes. We're expecting. Your cancer is in remission. Think about the best news that you could receive. The good news of Jesus Christ is the best news in the entire universe. It is at the heart of the Christian message. And there are several aspects and facets of that gospel message. I bet if I were to ask folks here, 
this morning, most people would say that the gospel of Jesus Christ is about his death. And that is absolutely true. Where would we be without Jesus' death? Without the sacrificial death of Christ, without him going to Jerusalem to lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sins? Where would we be without him taking our shame and being mocked and ridiculed and beaten and nailed to a cross? Where would we be? There would be no gospel. There would be no Christian religion. There'd be no forgiveness and peace with God and everlasting life without the death of Jesus Christ. It is central, first things first. But there's also more to the message, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus' life. It was very important. We get that he took the death we deserve, but one of the things that makes his death so incredible, so unique, is his perfect life. Jesus came and he obeyed the Father's will perfectly. That's what gave such imminent power to the sacrifice that he made. He lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, and then, three days later, he rose again from the dead. And the resurrection is almost the the payoff. It's the proof that his life and his death was acceptable. That he defeated sin and death for us. Romans 1.4 says it like this. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he came to do. It's the ultimate expression of street cred. He rose from the dead. He wins over death. And for some reason, it's often easier for us to focus on his death than to think about and meditate on his resurrected glory. Many of you have probably seen this quote before. It's from Anne Lamott. She said it like this. We're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. Jesus Christ is alive. He's risen. He's the victor. He's the champion. He's ruling and reigning now from heaven. This is first things first stuff. The foundation of the resurrection is essential to the gospel message. It's essential to the Christian message. Not only in information, the foundation of the gospel, the foundation of the resurrection, has real life implications for us now. And it has to do with our past, our present, and our future. Have you ever thought about the fact that the resurrection and the gospel message speaks into our past? It's rooted in the past. Two times in the first few verses we see the words, according to scripture. And so, we know that Jesus predicted that he would die and rise again from the dead. But we also know that thousands of years, about a thousand years before Jesus came, his death and resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. And it's important for us to remember that, that this has always been part of God's plan. It wasn't something that Jesus and others threw into the mix in the first century. The resurrection... And defeating sin and death is part of the plan from the beginning. And as that message of the resurrection 
is rooted in the past. It was also part of their stories. Look at verse 1. It says, I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. They received this gospel message that's rooted in the resurrection. That means not simply that they heard it, or even that they assented to the truths of what was said in that gospel message. It means that they received it. They believed it. They trusted in Jesus Christ, Messiah, Savior, Lord, Master, Maker, God. Is that gospel message rooted in the resurrection? Is it part of your story? Was there a time in your life when the lights came on and you understood and knew and received this gospel message? Maybe it happened slowly, like the rising of the sun. Some call this the being born again or conversion. It's having a paradigm shift where the way we see the world is now shaped, first and foremost, by the reality of Christ's death, His burial, and His resurrection. Is that part of your story? Because when you see Him and honestly come to terms with the resurrection... It changes everything. Part of the practical implications of this resurrection rooted in the past, it also means that we're standing in the present. That's what it says in verse 1. This gospel that you received in which you stand. Great question, isn't it? Where do you stand? It means way more than the geography or the set of coordinates where someone might be up on two feet. Where do you stand? Where do you take your stand? What are you relying on? What is important to you? What are the fundamental first things first principles in your life? The foundation of the resurrection has practical implications for us now. Because here's the thing. We can try and stand on our own. We can try and stand on our own accomplishments, our charm, our intellect, our good works, our achievements, our family name, whatever else we can think of. But, But what's the reality? It really doesn't work. It might work for a while. But ultimately, standing anywhere else than the foundation of Jesus Christ leaves us hurting and empty and cynical and burned out and exhausted. We can stand for causes and movements, which can be very important and good, but no cause or ambition or career was ever intended to to hold the weight of our lives and our souls. This is one of the most beautiful and simple and hardest to grasp principles in the Christian life. We can stand in Jesus Christ. Our hope, our life, our joy, our future is rooted in us standing in Christ. When we stand in Christ, it means that we can face life, the good things, and the bad things. 
We can go through the joys and the trials. We can stand up against the gates of hell. And we can also stand face to face with Jesus himself. Why? Because he rose again from the dead. We can stand with him in the present. And he will stand with us. The Bible says that those who trust in him and stand in him, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. So what are the areas in your life where you're trying to stand on your own? Trying to stand on something besides the resurrection power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It won't work. It won't last. Come back to the firm foundation which is Jesus. Past, present, and future. Part of the resurrection glory, the foundation of the resurrection is that we can be secure in the future. Look at verse 2. It talks about this gospel and it says, by which you are being saved. Something in the present that has future implications. You know that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ is not simply, it's not something that you just believe when you become a Christian. It's not simply something that, that you understand and rest in early on. It's something that carries us through. We never get over the gospel. We never get over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We begin in Christ. We stand in Christ. We continue in Christ. So the questions come up. What about my future? How will things work out? Can I change? Will I grow? Can I make it to the end? Will we be able to make it through this? Those are all future questions. We don't know the detailed answers to those questions. We do know Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised again on the third day, and that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That means that we can trust in Him and lean on Him and live with Him now and walk into the future. You see, there are real-world implications of the resurrection for us now, today, rooted in the past, standing in the present, secure in the future. All of that has to do with the foundation of the resurrection. But what are the facts? What are the facts of the resurrection? You know we believe that it really happened. Right? We believe That it really happened. It's not a philosophical concept. It's not a spiritual story or message. Christianity is rooted in. It stands or falls on the real life. Physical bodily resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul goes on to remind them. And us about some of the facts of the resurrection. And one of the things that's so powerful. Is the eyewitness testimony. The eyewitness evidence. Of the resurrection. Eyewitness evidence is still one of the most compelling things in piecing together a story. And in our culture and in our world, we're so obsessed with forensic scientific evidence. We watch shows like CSI and we where there are these slam dunks in the courtroom as the forensic evidence is shown. And those things are good. It's important, really powerful stuff. But we can't use the same scientific measures to judge 
the ultimate validity of historical events. We need original sources. We need first-hand stories and testimonies. And that's one of the things that's so powerful about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't done in secret. It was a very public event. He appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to Peter and to the twelve and to more than 500 at one time and other disciples. He appeared to James and Paul. He even says, Paul says, that many of these people are still alive. So when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, they could have made a road trip to Jerusalem and met with the people that saw the resurrected Christ. That is an invitation for them to check it out, read about it, assess the facts, see for yourself. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it happened in time and space. You know, that same invitation is open for us to check it out, to read for ourselves, to assess the facts, to weigh the arguments, not based on what someone else has said or the thought that it just couldn't happen. Consider it for yourself. And if it's any consolation to you, the idea of a man rising again from the dead was just as challenging for those first century folks as it would be for us. You know, part of chronological snobbery is us thinking, well, those people in the first century, they probably thought people were raised from the dead all the time. It was just as mind-blowing for them as it is for us. In fact, Jesus told his disciples three times explicitly, I'm going to be raised on the third day, and they were confused. They didn't know what he was talking about. Then it happened, and it rocked their worlds. If we honestly look at the claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, if we consider the possibility that God entered into time and space to deliver us and rescue us from our sin and brokenness, that He laid down His life on the cross for our sins and rose again in victory on the third day, it can, it will, it must change everything. If we look at the impact of the resurrection in the first century and every century in between, we can see it has changed everything. It is a first things first discussion. And I love verses 12 through 20. Paul not only talks about the facts of the resurrection, but he takes it a step further. And he states clearly the futility of our faith without the resurrection. It's not just an interesting or compelling conversation. The whole Christian religion stands or falls on the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this full disclosure argument in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. I love it. Here are some of the things he says. If there's no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. If Christ wasn't raised, then our preaching is in vain. Our hope is in vain. He's basically saying, if there's no resurrection, then we're charlatans. This thing is a big scam. If there's no resurrection, those who have died in Christ have no hope. If there's no resurrection, this is my favorite part, 
we are the most pitiful people. We're to be pitied. Think about it. Futility, vanity, meaningless, empty, working toward no end and no result. Those are the last things that we want to describe our lives, our work, our families. If Christ wasn't raised, then our faith is empty. If there's no resurrection, there is no point. We ought to close up shop, mail it in, if there's no resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Christ rose from the dead. It's a first things first foundation of the gospel. The facts are recorded here in 1 Corinthians 15 and in other places, attested by eyewitness testimony. And there's a futility of faith without it. Here's where we look at the early church. We look at the disciples of Jesus Christ who staked their entire lives on this reality that Christ rose again from the dead. Most of them gave up their lives. They died in full assurance and confidence that the resurrected Christ was their hope and their life, fully committed to the reality of the resurrection. Think about the thousands of people that were converted on the day of Pentecost, just 40 days after the ascension of Christ. Some of them saw Jesus die. Some of them yelled in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Now they entrusted their lives and their future to the resurrected Christ. Think about the billions of people throughout history who have staked their lives on this same event, this same reality. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no point. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Against all odds, and our natural sensibilities and our cynical doubts and our sinful baggage and our personal agendas, the Scripture teaches and history shows that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. I believe it. Many of you in this room believe it. Billions throughout history have believed it. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ was raised from the dead. What will you do with that? So many folks spend so much intellectual energy and emotional energy trying to avoid coming face to face with Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you this morning. And if it is, I want to challenge you to read the Gospels for yourself. Ask God to guide you. See for yourself who is this Jesus who rose again from the dead. Maybe you're here this morning and your faith is burning low. And life, maybe your own mistakes, have beaten you down. You're tired. You're overwhelmed. You're afraid about the future. 
The resurrection of Christ is a pledge. It's a promise. That God is working. And that one day He will come again in glory and He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more death. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Because if he's alive now, if he rose from the dead, it is the ultimate game changer. It has to become a first things first discussion. A first things first reality in your life. Let's pray.